So there's a lot of confusion today about what it means to be a man. And uh, so that's why we thought many months ago that it'd be a great thing. Let's talk about what it is to be a man, to be a woman. You know, nowadays, uh, unlike any time in my lifetime, we're more confused about what it is to be a man or to be a woman. Uh, now we have terms that some, not too many years ago, we didn't even know about. We talk now about sexual or gender, uh, you know, identity. We talk about sexual orientation. We talk about being transgender, cross-gender, uh, gender. Have you heard that one? C-I-S, gender, is uh, means that you identify with the sex that you were given when you were born. You got male body parts, uh, you're male. Um, the challenge comes, uh, just because you're male doesn't mean you're a man. So I want to talk about gender identity, uh, but, but we don't have time to go into the very complex issues that we have addressed at times and need to do so more often, I suppose, but we're going to talk about what it is to be a man. There's great confusion in our day, and uh, many of us uh, realize that the great challenge, the crisis in our nation is that we have a lack of male leadership uh, at the highest level all the way down. But as Dr. Evans noted last night, it all starts in the home. So I'm so grateful to have men across uh, generations here. And I want to offer this. Some of you have come across the Babylon Bee. Has anybody read this? It's a farcical news um, source, if you would call it new, fake news. It is that. Um, and like the onion, but it's, it's a humorous uh, Christian perspective, right? It's satire on cultural topics, even hot topics. Um, this picture here I want you to see goes with the headline, uh, man identifying as six-year-old crushes game-winning homer in t-ball championship. <laughs> nah. Local 36-year-old man Nate, here's the article, Ripley, who identifies as a six-year-old, absolutely crushed a game-winning homer at a local t-ball game and won the championship for his team on Monday evening, reports confirmed. Ripley reportedly walked up to the plate in the bottom of the six, pointed his bat toward the left field wall looming 130 feet away. <laughs> and let her rip, sending the ball rocketing over the fence into the parking lot as fans cheered and his coach yelled out, boy, Nate, good job, bud. His team, the Lil Pirates, attempted to hoist him up on their shoulders in celebration of their great victory over the favored tiny tigers, but were unable to pick up the large 230-pound man. Ripley's feet comes after, uh, at the end of a momentous t-ball season in which he, the, the self-identified six-year-old absolutely shattered every record set prior to that point with a one point, okay, thousand, you know, batting average of 1,000, uh, 52 home runs, an incredible showing at first base, second base, shortstop, third base, and pitcher. The man is being called an inspiration to other six-year-olds everywhere. I'm just proud to be here with my team. It's all for the love of the game. An emotional Ripley told reporters while enjoying an orange slice and juice box after the championship. We have a man identifying, self-identifying as a boy. Now, this becomes an apt analogy because what we have today are men 
How about this? Boys walking around in men's bodies. The problem in our nation today, so much goes back to the fact that we don't have men who understand what it is to be men. And men who are discipling other men and pouring their lives into other men to raise up boys to men. And so today what I want to talk about is God's design. I want to talk about a divine design that God has given us, and it's God's plan for every man. I want to launch into this uh, sermon with a single verse, Uh, and it's a verse that Paul offers to the church in Corinth after uh, he... He has walked through so much in, the, in 1 Corinthians. He's, he's saying to this early church, he says, listen, we got problems in the church. There's sexual immorality. There's disunity in the body. And he calls it out. And he says, in the end, here's how the church is going to flourish in a pagan and even hostile environment there in Corinth. And what he does at the end is noteworthy. He addresses men specifically. And he says, this is not going to happen apart from men taking on their role. And so in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, you can see it there on the screen. It says this. In fact, let's read it together. Can you read that? Here we go. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Wow. I love that. You guys sound great strong today. As you follow Jesus every day, I'm going to challenge you today to, to be watchful. To stand firm in the faith, to act like men. What does that look like? And then to be strong. All right. So as we do this, I'm going to use this. Really, each one of those are in the imperative command. So we're going to look at each one of these imperative commands, but we're also going to use uh, Moses as a model, as a uh, but use this verse as a framework as we think about what it means to be a man. I heard someone say this week that the great challenge that we have in our day is we've got men in positions of leadership who are just taking on their new toys. They're just playing like boys. But the stakes are so much higher. And I don't need to tell you that we have a leadership crisis in our nation and in our world. And the problem is that many men, even Christian men, are not stepping up into those places of service. They've not realized that they're simply uh, not called to be here as lethargic pew-sitters or consumer Christians but instead that we're to take the lead as men. It's God's design for us to lead out in our communities and in the church. And I'm praying, men, I'm praying that this message will so touch the hearts of hundreds of men in our church that we'll never be the same, that we'll all step into our place to be courageous leaders. We're at a place in our church and the history of our church where we need men to rise up and to serve like Jesus, across the life of our church, from the youngest ones among us to the eldest. We need men who are going to be door holders and welcome and greeting people. And it is men, many of you, who are serving every single week and leading out in mission efforts across our our city. And I praise God for you. But God has called you to be participants in the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel. And that is the greatest life a man can live. I find many men who are bored, not because they don't have a lot to do or lots, lots of money and lots of options, but because they're doing nothing significant for the Lord. And today, I want to encourage you to, to follow the Lord and to find your place and seek him. Here's what I've done. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 breaks down like this in our context. God's divine design, the focus of our message today for men, is to live with a watchful eye, a gospel-centered identity, 
unshakable courage, and a constant pursuit of Jesus. Now, Moses is on the other side of the cross, but I want to break each one of these down as we look at a passage that really represents kind of a culmination of, of Moses' passion for the Lord. And uh, I'm going to catapult us, if you've been here of late, from chapter 3, 4 to a passage we're not going to look at in this series. So kind of a standalone message, but it's still, I wanted to relate back to, to Moses. So turn to Exodus chapter 33. And uh, Exodus 33, we're going to look at uh, portions of 33 and 34. This is an incredible passage. Uh, Moses has at this point, he's now led the people out of Egypt. He's crossed the Red Sea. He's been given the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus 20. Uh, manna has come from heaven. He's, uh, he's led the people to a point. Now you know that he's going to, uh, his temper gets, uh, gets him in trouble a few times. Moses is not a perfect man by any means. In fact, he's disqualified in the end to take uh, the people on into the promised land, though he would see it. But now we find ourselves later on, and what's happened here is he's now uh, been given instructions, uh, the, the, the uh, commandments. He, he has this portable tabernacle. God's de, uh, guided him to, 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 to go into this tent of meeting. Um, he has taken the, the, uh, the commandments, and what he's done, he comes back now. You know this portion of the story, perhaps. He comes back, and the people have already turned away from the Lord. He's gone not so long, but his brother Aaron, in fact, is the one who actually builds this golden calf, and they're worshiping this idol, which they kind of thing they'd done before, prior to understanding that Yahweh now, the great I Am, is calling them out as his people. He's already rescued them from Egypt. Many of us are rescued from our sin, rescued from a place of complacency and a life without purpose. But often we turn away from the Lord. He comes down and he's so angry, he throws the tablets down, shatters them on the ground. And yet the Lord continues to call out to him. And we find him now interceding on behalf of the people. In, in, in Exodus chapter 33, I want to pick up with verse 12. And I'm going to read a rather a little bit longer passage than is normal. And we're going to draw from the text here to apply. Chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord... And by the way, every time you see the word Lord in this passage, it's the word Yahweh is how we would say it. It's I am. I am who I am is the name that he told Moses in chapter 3, early on in his calling. See, you say, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not led uh, or let me know whom you will send with me. Now we know in chapter 4, he did tell him. In fact, his answer is always the same. I will be with you. I will be with you. But he also told him, I'm going to give you Aaron. Now, Aaron hadn't helped him out. Now, every man needs a wingman, but sometimes your wingman will let you down, and all you've got is the Lord. He turns to the Lord, and he says, yet you have said, I know you by name, and I have also found favor in your sight. That word favor, by the way, is the word charis. In the Greek Septuagint, the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is charis, which is grace in the, Old, in the New Testament. It's the same word here. He says, that you, you, you say that I have found grace, that I'm loved unconditionally, accepted by you. Now, verse 13, therefore, if I have found grace, favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor, more favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. Now look at Moses' passion to see more of God. He wanted more and more of God 
He couldn't get enough. He was always pursuing him. He wanted to see him more clearly. And he says, and, and he, he, I love this, he reminds him, Lord, as if God doesn't know this or can't remember. And Lord, remember, these are your people. You said that you would, you would bring us to the promised land. You did call us out. Sometimes we just need to come before God. What he's doing here is affirming and confirming what he knows he's heard from God. He's bringing it back to God. Lord, you said this. He's just simply saying, I know this is true. Please, please do this thing. I'm trusting you. And then in verse 14, and he said, here's God, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Watch this. He's saying you, and that word rest can be translated success. My presence will go with you and my presence will give you real success. Man, this is a great word for us. Success is not built around, you know, us accomplishing our plans. It's not about our goals. Success in life is the presence of God on your life. The very spirit of God in your life is success. And this is what Moses is learning. God is teaching him. This is what's, what's, what's happening. This is true success. And he says, I love this. Watch this. And I will give you rest. And he said, Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. This is so powerful. Lord, if you're not in this, I'm not going to move. If, if you're not going with me, if I don't have your presence, then I will fail. Don't lead us out of here. I mean, that's a great prayer for some of us today. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? Is it not in your presence so that we are distinct and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? We could camp out here as well. What makes us distinct as God's people is his spirit upon us. So that when people show up, whether we're in a group of three or four, or whether we're in a large group of people on a Sunday morning, people show up and say, my, this presence of God is among these people. Could it be that we'd be known as a church where God's presence resides among the people? You do that, if we see God's spirit residing in us, as we commit our lives to him, you will not keep the crowds of people away who want to get in on that. And it's true in your personal life. My presence will go with you. I'll give you success and you'll be distinct. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Yeah, I just want to see you. I want to see more of you, glory, the expression of his character. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord. I am. I am who I am. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place uh, by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my right hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand. You'll see my back, but you will not see my face. No one can see the face of God. He, he says, you're not going to see my full glory. It would kill you. And then chapter 34, it goes on. He tells him to cut for himself two tablets. Now he's going to bring back now new tablets. The, and he says, come up here, come up to the Mount of Sinai. And, and I'm going I'm to reveal myself to you. And then in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud. 
and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, I am, I am who I am. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, he adds this, I will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Notice he says fathers. He doesn't say mothers. Fathers are responsible. Fathers is the one. This is why we read about sins of our fathers who are passed on to the next generation and the next. On the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head and toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord... Go in the midst of us, be among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us from your in- for your inheritance. He says, don't give up on us, Lord. Let us be your inheritance. Well, let's apply this to our own lives. Let's talk about the Moses model. Throughout this month, we're looking at Moses as a model for life, not because he's a great man, but because God used him as an ordinary man. So what is it that sets this otherwise ordinary man apart? Well, I think we can see here, Moses remained watchful. All this, all throughout, you can see he's saying, show me your ways, show me your glory. Uh, when we look back at that 1 Corinthians passage, to, to be watchful is to be a soldier at his post, watching, looking to see what danger lurks in the distance or in the dark. In Exodus 14, uh, 13 through 14, after the Red Sea, in, uh, or at the Red Sea, he says, Stand firm, don't be afraid, and watch the salvation of the Lord today. Godly men watch for the Lord at work. Godly men are always looking to see what God is up to. They got their hands on the spiritual pulse of, of their life, and the Spirit is constantly saying, Hey, watch for me, watch for me. They're always watching what God is doing, and they're joining him in what he's doing. They want to get on board with what God is already doing. Godly men are watchful men. He remained watchful, but a lot of us have lost the key to what it is that, that our lives are all about. Uh, it was, I'm told, uh, looked like just a normal key, maybe something like this one. But this little piece of metal could have saved over 1,500 lives. It was a key that went to the locker that held the binoculars on the Titanic. And on that fateful night in the pre-sonar days of 1912, there was a man who didn't pass on the key to a second officer who was to be in his place as he was pulled from the crew at the last minute. David Blair had the key. And as a result, after official inquiry, after the tragedy that took over 1,500, it was 1,522 souls lost, uh, Fred Fleet was the one who was there, who survived, and he noted later that we had no binoculars. If we had the binoculars, we could have seen the danger before us. It was a simple key. And many would say it could have possibly allowed those people to live and for the tragedy to never take place. Men, listen, you've been given the key. 
If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And listen, through the lens of God's Word, we see the world in a way that others do not. And men are called out to see ahead of time for their wives, for the women, for the children, so that we can see the dangers ahead that is lurking under the water. Godly men have the Spirit of God in them, and they're seeing the world, and they're watchful men. They're always looking to see what's happening, the dangers that lurk before us. That's what we're called to do as men. Secondly, Moses stood firm in the faith. Verse 14 and 16, if your presence doesn't go with us, then I don't want to go forth. Now, he, had, uh, he stayed on course. Now, again, he, he failed along the way. He was just a man, and God continued to pick him up, brush him off. He would complain. He was whining always about these stiff-necked people, and they were that. But he, he, he would continue to press on, and though he was disqualified because he, again, out of anger, struck the rock, wanted to take credit for the water that would be provided for the people, God said, you're not going to make it to the Holy Land. You're going to pass it on to Joshua. He's going to finish that work. And, and even there, Moses started to understand, and he learned by the end of his life. He knew that it was not his power, but it was the power of God. Moses learned the hard lesson of humility. And he also understood the arrogance of capacity that many of us live with. This arrogance of capacity that says, I can do this. I will do this. And, and, and behind that is pride that says, not only do I have the power to do this, but I want to be seen as the one doing this. Moses had to take the advice of his father-in-law Jethro and say, look, you can't do this. You need to pass this on to other leaders. Listen, godly men, they're watchful. And they're always looking for ways to pass on the faith to other men. We need men in our church across the board who are pouring their lives into other men. You just need to find a man and just pour your life in him. You need a man ahead of you who can mentor and guide you as well. We need men discipling men. That's how the church will flourish in our day. Some of you watched the national uh, championship game between Alabama and Georgia. How many of you, like me, had Georgia? You were hoping that Georgia's going to win that game. Um, you guys sold out to Alabama, the rest of you homers. But anyway, um, that was an incredible game. Did, how many of y'all watched the game? Did you see the game? Um, it was amazing. You know, Jalen Hurt, you know the story. Jalen Hurt, the senior, right, that got them to the game, he had a record of 25 and 2 as a starter. Well, after, gosh, going, what, three for eight for 21 yards in the first half, Nick Saban made a courageous move. Tua Tung Oviola. I'll call him Tua. Tua, the freshman, true freshman, was called out by Saban at halftime to go into the game. They couldn't, they couldn't throw the ball. Jalen's more of a running quarterback. They, they, they usually pound it. And so he comes in. You know the story. If you watch the game, he ends up winning the game. Two things I loved about that whole game, whether you like Alabama or not, pulling for Georgia. Um, but what happened there was uh, Tua, at the end of the game, they're, they're interviewing this true freshman. And they wanted to talk about football. And all he wanted to say was, all glory goes to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he just kept saying that. Like any, any place he had an opportunity, he would do that. The kid's like 18 years old. Comes from a godly family with a godly father who poured into his life. 
But the other thing I loved about it was when I saw Jalen Hurt in the second half over on the sidelines cheering on his team and cheering on that freshman. I was like, are you kidding me? This is the game that Jalen lived for all of his life. And to be in the national championship game and to be the quarterback that got him there and would finish the task. And yet, I saw it happen. What Moses had to do was pass on the baton to Joshua in Deuteronomy 3, 28. It says this, the Lord said to charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall, he shall go over uh, at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you will see. And what happened was Moses passed the baton on. Listen, you know that you're making an impact for the kingdom as a godly man when you're passing the baton on to other men and you're pouring into the lives of other men. It takes time. It takes focus. It takes a passion like Moses. And listen, the third thing I want you to see is that Moses acted like a man. Now, what does this look like? This may be at the center of the message today. Moses, say what you will about him. He had a bias towards action. He was a man of action. Sometimes his action got him in trouble, but he was ready to move. You know, being a man, what does it mean to act like a man? This is critical for us in our day. It's more than opening the door for your sweetheart. That's a good thing. Don't lose that. It's more than putting the seat down after you've finished your business. But being a man's a lot more than that. Being a man, here it is. We, we, men act like men when they provide two things. We've talked about this in recent days. They offer two things. They provide and they protect. Provision, which means to see ahead of time. All right? You've got the lens of God's word. You're seeing ahead of time for your family, for your wife, for your children, for your friends. You see ahead of time the dangers that are coming because you know God's word. You're in his word and you're seeking his face daily. You provide and you protect. Moses offered provision. Now I say that God offered provision through him. It's what we do. When the manna was needed, he pointed the people to it. He gave them the Ten Commandments and the laws. God uh, anoints men like you and me to pass on and provide for others. He was protecting others. And listen, men, you're, you, you are called out to protect your family and others around us by, by challenging them to follow God's word. Ultimate pr- protection in life from the evil one who's coming after every one of us is to follow his word and we find protection in that. And I can tell you as a former youth pastor and now for many years as a pastor, when you have a man who even a Christian man who comes to church every week, but he doesn't live out his faith at home and his children never seen pray with the family. He's not leading out. And listen, I'm tired of women who are leading children spiritually. Men are called to do that, not the women. Now women, yes. And I'll talk about this. We, we, a, a man, a godly man never demeans women, never sees them as objects. Jesus raised up women more than any man who ever lived. And we do the same, but God's called us out to specific and unique roles. But when there's a a disparity between a man who, and the kids are watching, he goes to church every week, he may even be involved in leading. But when he's at home and he's not living it out, I can tell you from experience that that will jack up the minds of children. And 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 at worst, at best, they'll be confused. At worst, they'll run from the Lord. They'll have nothing to do with this kind of duplicity. And finally, I want you to see the last point here. Moses remained strong. We find it throughout. He stayed the course. Now, he would pay the price for his sin. But men, some of you are now in uh, 
that latter third of your life as Moses was here. And I want to encourage you, don't give up. In fact, I want to encourage you, your church family needs you more than ever. The, the last third of your life can be the best third of your life, the most influential uh, aspect of your life. Moses remained strong. He decided that, that in the end, he, he wasn't working so that he could have a solid 401k and a few tea times a week. He decided he's not going to retire. He's not going to give up serving the Lord. And I could argue that retirement is not a biblical model. Instead, we continue to serve the Lord. I want to do this before we close our time. I want you to meet a man that I have known, gosh, for a couple decades and have come to love and appreciate. He's been in our church for some time, been a deacon since about 89, I think, been on the board of trustees. He's been a leader in our church family, and uh, his name is Jim Ramsey. I've asked Jim to come up here and join me. Let's welcome Jim. He's going to come up and share a bit with us. Jim, thank you. Thank you so much for coming up. Um, so I've talked to Jim recently, and you've had a... Well, first of all, just do this. Tell us, tell us about you, the guys that wouldn't know you here. Uh, let's see. I grew up in Mahia, Texas. Um, the only other famous people from Mahia are a stripper and a Ponzi scheme artist. <laughs> so I, I kind of escaped the tractor beam, made good. my way to Dallas. You, I got married good. here. You raised the bar. In 85, I did. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter got married here. My son's a member here. Uh, Deacon in 89, a trustee in 96, uh, served on a lot of different committees, uh, and just recently retired from Price Waterhouse after a long time doing technology strategy consulting. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you and Melinda, you joined when? What, when was that? We joined in 1985. Melinda, a long time before that, when Dr. Pleitz retired, we were the family that presented a plaque to him because yeah, we were, yeah. I think, a fifth generation yeah. family. Wow. In How about that? So tell me, you've had a dramatic shift in your life recently. You, uh, you noted you retired from PwC, and, um, and you, you know, we've been talking about the Moses model and kind of how we hear from God and what does that look like. So tell us about this shift that you've experienced uh, yeah. in your life. You know, I retired in, in June. My wife and I had been talking for a couple of years. Well, whenever you stop traveling but we weren't really making much progress in that regard, so decided to rip the Band-Aid off. That's what men do. And um, I didn't have anything to do, and I, I really thought I'd just find some consulting work here in Dallas and kind of continue on, but I made the mistake of going to breakfast with a guy named Stephen Barnes. Where's Barnes? And, is he here? He's, he's I'm here? sure he's here. Where is he? Stephen. And he said, Skipping? you know. He just called Stephen out, but anyway. Yeah. He said, you got oh, okay. to come look at the men of Nehemiah. And... Um, the men of Nehemiah was something I'd heard about for a long time, Jeff, because members of our men's class, the right. Brian Fan class, had started that, or really helped starting it. And for years I'd heard men of Nehemiah, men of Nehemiah, but I was an airplane, right? You know, and I was in China and Thailand and Saudi Arabia and Zurich, and it mm -hmm. all sounds pretty exciting, but you see the airport, the hotel, the client, right? And so the, the first thing I did when I um, retired was say, I want to go to the men of Nehemiah on Tuesday nights, right? They're all Dallas Bible study. So good. And I was just amazed, yeah. And it's, it's mostly men. Every now and then a woman sneaks in. But it's mostly men. And um, men's lives are being changed there, right? And kind of what you said, Jeff, it's like, uh, I'm not sure that I can do this, but it sure feels significant, right? Mm, mm -hmm. So, uh, but when I started investigating that, and diving into the connectedness I already had, it made me feel like that God's had me on a path that led me here, wow. right? 
I looked at people that were already involved uh, with, with the men of Nehemiah, both in terms of service and, and supporters and, and the need they had, and it just seemed like a good fit for me. I'm curious, how many of you guys have, have been down to be a part of the Nehemiah, the men of Nehemiah? Yeah, there's a lot of guys you can see around you. You can learn more about it. We want you to. Uh, we want to have them here. I have them back. I'm going to be speaking down there this soon again, this spring. So. Well, and we're today at noon. Oh, the yeah, men yeah, of yeah. Nehemiah are singing at the world-famous House of Blues Gospel Brunch. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's I see some, oh, some guy just ran out there on the way there. Uh, hey, so tell us, um, in this process, you, you mentioned a little bit, kind of, of ultimately saying yes to the Lord, and then um, I'm guessing, uh, gosh, some hurdles to overcome. Because yeah. I know, I'll say this, you're, you're there working full-time without pay. And you said, I'm, I'm going to do this. Talk, talk about that. Well, I'm making a little bit, but, it, but it's so bad that last week my financial advisor said, do you realize you're giving a tithe? So <clears throat> it's, you know, it's, it's something you have to work through. Mm-hmm. I think, um, but on the other hand, I'm home every night, right? I get to greet my wife and my dog, um, mm. you know, rather than, than spend the night in a hotel. Yeah. I think, you know... Uh, it's just amazing the, the people that had come before me, right? I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants in this particular case. Mm. Steve Barnes, Rick Morgan, Richard Weber, Elmer Doty, Brian Fant. I could just go on and on and name names of guys that have already been there for a long time. Mm. And it just so happens that it kind of lines up for me. I think there's a, there's a cultural change for sure. You know, it's, it's a little bit like being on that TV show Survivor. You know, walking into the office, there's no copiers or computers. And we're making that happen, though. <clears throat> But on the other hand, it's a, it's a clean sheet of paper, yeah. right? And for a guy yeah. like me, that's really important. Um, I'm not always right, but I'm never uncertain. And so I'm, I'm happy to come into a place. It's like a startup, but I already have customers and revenue. Yeah. Right? Wow. So, uh, yeah, you're part of now helping rescue men who have been, gosh, involved in, in drugs and, and maybe even out of prison on the street. Yeah. And um, you're doing work that matters. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about Men and Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. I've been around since about 2009. He was actually a brainchild of Lewis Harrell, who's the current pastor there or, or leader, yep. his father, because Lewis struggled with, with drug and alcohol addiction. We have a unique approach to healing men um, that's kind of got a three-cornered approach. It, it involves not only the clinical that you typically see, but also a spiritual side and a military side. And so when you look at our website, when you see the men around in public wearing military uniforms, the military allows a safe and secure environment within which recovery can happen. Mm. The spiritual side addresses the point that when you, when you pull these bad behaviors out of a man, it leaves a hole. Well, what do you fill that hole with? Well, mm-hmm. we're going to fill it with Jesus Christ. It's going to be filled with something. It's got to right? be filled with something. Yep. And so that God's got a plan for men, Jeff. Yeah. God didn't make mistakes. That's right. right? And so Praise we fill it with that message. Jim, tell us, as we kind of land here, this message... Um, and uh, seeing Moses as a model and all that kind of thing. What would you say to men? Um, you know, we have a lot of men who are either retired or, or approaching retirement. We have other men who are in their 20s. We have, we have junior high uh, age men here, young men. And, and we all walk through transitions in life, right? So what would you say to all of us as it, as it relates to, man, making your life count and, and hearing from God and then obeying Him? Sure. I'd say, fir- first of all, I'd say focus on who you are, not what you do. Mm. You know, I, I am a father and a husband, a Christian, a member of this church, a member of Brian Pant Sunday School class. What I used to do, I used to run marathons, right? Uh, in fact, I, I've got a shirt that says, the older I get, the better I was, 
Right? <laughs> um, yes. You know, I used to work for PwC. Those are all things that are that are good. But but I think over time in our lives, the closer we're aligned to what we do with who we are yeah. is really important. Second, I'd say, <clears throat> you know, like I said, I grew up in Mahia, Um And I know there's all sorts of messages we're not worthy, we're sinners, and I get that. But God has been so good to me. Mm. He's been so good to me. He's blessed my family. So far beyond what I could have expected. And I don't expect him to abandon me now. I'd say our greatest fear, all of us as men, mm. it's not that we're incapable. Yeah. It's that we're, God's given us power and we're not using it. Yeah. Right? So kind of what you said up there a minute ago, Jeff, let's attempt something so bold that if God is not with us, we will surely fail. Yeah. Amen. So, come on, Jim. All right. Um, you told me, um, I said recently from the platform, and, and you heard uh, that if your life doesn't fundamentally change as you answer God's call, then it may not be God that you've heard from. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell us about that. What? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it requires a little bit of planning. But like I said, I think the trade-offs are worthwhile. My life has fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but in many ways, you know, there's trade-offs, right? Uh, there, there's certainly a financial impact, but here's what I would say. The faith-based nonprofit business in Dallas, it's many hundreds of millions of dollars revenue, right, each year. Faith-based organizations need strategy people, business people, IT people, mm -hmm. business models, operating models. We need all that. Yeah. I think that um, at the Men of Nehemiah, I say don't support us because we're poor faith-based South Dallas Support us because we're good at what we do. Mm. We think faith-based is better, mm. right? Now, if, if I can go do that, um, I think things are going to work out pretty well. Yeah, praise the Lord. Hey, let's thank Jim for sharing with us today. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Appreciate Jeff. you, brother. Thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, hey, I'm going to close, uh, close our time with this. All of this starts as we decide that we're not going to be men. Um, who are walking around boys in men's bodies playing t-ball, but that God's called us to something much greater. For Moses, it all begins, and it does for us now on this side of the cross, with a, for us, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That that become our sole pursuit. I love what John says in his gospel. He says, we've seen his glory. Glory of the one and only begotten from the Father. We've seen him. We know Him. By faith, we see Christ and what He's done for us. But all this starts just prior to this passage we looked at. In fact, the verse before, verse 12, we started with, reveals the secret, the key. Exodus 33, 11, it says this, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Listen, God's design for you is to know Him. And the only way to know him is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And men, I want to challenge you. Be the man. Follow him every day. Join us on Thursday mornings. We started this past Thursday right here in this room at 7 o'clock. Men with men. Men discipling men. And I want to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to find your place of ministry. God's wired you to do work for him to advance the kingdom. Be the man. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, I thank you that you've called us. I praise you that, uh, that you've called each one of us out to serve you and to love you. Thank you for Jesus. We praise you for the cross. 
that you paid that debt for us. You took on yourself our shame and our, our sin so we could receive you and have life. You died so that we could live for eternity. And God, I praise you for your great love for us. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless every man and that we would rise up as men and that our church and our, our, our community would never be the same. That we'd follow the pathway that you've given us and discover our gifts and what you would have in this next season of our lives. Lord, teach us we do not do this alone. So I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts as we make decisions for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, just going to close with this challenge. And then the guys are going to play us out as, as we go. I said it earlier. Listen, I'm tired of women leading families. I'm tired of women coming to say, hey, I'm dragging my husband here to join the fellowship of this church. I'm bringing my children because they've received Christ. We need men who are leading the way. And today, your wife may be over another room. You may be single, divorced. You may find yourself here not in a, committed to a local body of believers. Today's your day. You need to join the fellowship of the church. And you can do so right after this service by coming right over here uh, through these doors. I'll be back here with others. And we're ready to greet you, welcome you. If you want to come join the fellowship, if you want to come for baptism, whatever decision the Lord's calling you to make, if you want to come for prayer, we'll be here as long as we need to be this afternoon to be here with you. I want you to stand, and I want to put a verse back on the screen that we're going to read together, that 1 Corinthians 16, 13. If you guys could put that up there on the screen. And let's say it again together as a benediction as we go. What a great day it's been, man. I love you. Praise God for you. Let's say it. Let's say it with bold boldness and with conviction. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Now go. Live it out.